Matthew 6, verse 25 to verse 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food in the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is grown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today is part two of living by faith so as to have an anxiety-free life. In a previous section, uh, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus dealt with those who had divided loyalties. He said, you cannot serve God and money. In other words, we cannot have two masters. It is impossible, Jesus says, to have two masters. That means you can't have divided loyalties. You'll either serve one or neglect the other. So it's either God or money, but it doesn't have to be those two things. You just have, there's only one master, and that is to be me, Jesus says. Is there any Christian among us, is there anyone among us who has never been anxious about something in our lives? If there is, then they'll lie about other things as well. We all have been anxious about something at some point in our lives. And we have worried, in other words, about certain things. We've worried about the future. But what Jesus tells us in this portion of Scripture that we began to look at last week was that we're not to be anxious about our life for anything. Now, he phrases it in terms of what we eat and what, shall we, and what we drink and what we clothe ourselves, the, the fundamentals of uh, provisions of life. In other words, but... The eating and the drinking in the shelter, what Jesus is obviously uh, driving at, is that we're not to worry about anything in life. Now, let me uh, highlight the main points that I brought out last week and as we add to it. Jesus has been presenting an argument from the lesser to the greater. In other words, he talks about the birds of the air, he talks about the lilies of the field, And so he says, if God takes care of the little birds who don't uh, gather into barns like we would, don't harvest and things like this. You ever seen birds uh, go out and hunt for food? They hop along and get the ear to the ground. They hop along and get the ear to the ground. Next thing you know, they've got a worm. 
How'd they do that? Because God created them with this super sensitive hearing so they can hear an earthworm move. God has structured his creation. And every day, the little birds have to go out and fend for themselves. But here's what Jesus says. They do do something. But in their activity, God takes care of them. Have you ever seen a starving bird? I don't know if I've ever seen a starving bird. The Lord takes care of his creatures. And Jesus says, now, if God takes care of these creatures, will he not take care of you? Because you're of much greater value than they are. Now, some would say, well, are we sure about that? Are our humans, are we just on a higher evolutionary scale? Hardly. Psalm 8 tells us that man, male and female, was made in the very image of God. Psalm says, made a little lower than God. That's what the scripture says. That's man. And therefore, God takes care of the apex of his creation. Those who are unique, whom he created to walk in communion with him. So Jesus says, from the lesser to the greater, if God takes care of these creatures on a day-by-day basis, he'll take care of you. So if God takes care of these birds, we can be assured that he will take care of us. And so what we see here, not only is God, are we special by virtue of the creation being made in his image, As the covenant people of God, we are special even further because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. We are his covenant people. A verse that we looked at last week briefly was Romans 8.32, which says, If God did not spare his own son, will he not also provide for you all things? So our Heavenly Father has provided mankind with redemption through the Lord Jesus. Not only are we special by virtue of our creation, we're special by virtue of the fact we belong to the Lord Jesus. And therefore, he's going to provide for us. And so, yes, we're physical creatures. We need food and drink. We need shelter. But God has promised never to forsake us. He will abide with us constantly. And Romans 8.28 is true. Where it says, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, granted, you and I may not always know what that good is, do we? There are things that we go through that we wonder, I just don't see what good there is in all of this. You've gone through those experiences in life. You may be going through that experience right now in some way, shape, or form. Here's what you've got to remind yourself of. There's a purpose for his people. And it will work out for good to those who love him. And it may not be immediately that we see it, but this is what you've got to trust. God will honor his word. So when, when it says that God will take care of us as his physical tre- creatures, Jesus said, in our text, that life is more than food. Seems odd since he just talked about we're physical creatures 
and we have to have food to exist. What did he mean? That life is more than food. Well, how so? Life is more than just simply meeting our physical needs, is what Jesus is driving at. And it's all found just how the whole section ends in verse 34. And how does that end? It says, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will uh, care for itself. Actually, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So how is life more than food? Well, we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And if that is our driving mode in life, is the glory of God, then God says, everything that you need will be given to you. But seek first my kingdom. Notice what comes first. The kingdom of God, and then our physical needs. As Numbers 23, 19 says, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, Has he said, and shall he not make it good? God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. I mentioned last week that life is more than just food, uh, more than clothing. What God did, he did not create you and me to be self-centered. Having everything uh, just the way we want it to be. That's not why he created us, by the way. No, man was created to have fellowship with God. Man was created to walk and have communion with the living God. And we were created to work in God's domain. When God created Adam, we alluded to this last week, when he created Adam, he immediately gave Adam a task, tend to my garden. And then he said, uh, when he had in the mind and was creating Eve, He says to uh, multiply and to fill the earth. Have dominion over all the other creatures of the earth. They're there for you to exercise under my headship as a vice regent, as a co-ruler. Have dominion over the whole earth. And so God created man, male and female, for the purpose of tending his world to achieve His purpose in this world, not our own. And so what we see, Scripture affirms that he has given life to all of us. It's a special gift that he has given to us. Life is a gift. And we are told, and we looked at the passage last week in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 18, where it talks about how God wove us in our mother's womb. We were intricately formed. And it's an incredible thing how life begins in such a small way. And then in just nine months you have a human being. But it doesn't stop there. God says with reference to his people, he says, How precious are my thoughts to you, uh, O God. Uh, O God, your thoughts towards me. When I awake, I'm still with you. And he says, and when I think about your thoughts to me, they outnumber the, the sand of the sea and the stars in the heaven. Your love for your people is unending. We are special. And as a Christian, 
as a Christian, you and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price. Now, when 1 Corinthians 10.31 talks about that, that we were bought with a price, it goes on to say, Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. You were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Do you get the sense that we don't live for ourselves? We're not in this world for ourselves. We're in this world for the glory of God. Now, you may think, you mean we're not ever to think about ourselves? Well, here's how it works. When you consciously think about serving your Creator, serving your Redeemer, you know what happens? You end up living the most fulfilled life. That's, what, that's the byproduct. You don't get the cart before the horse. You glorify by glorifying God and seeking first His kingdom. Then life becomes enriching. It becomes exciting. And as a Christian, you were out in Colorado, you, you, you guys saw the glory of his creation. And you, you saw that because you're Christian. You know it was the, who, who made it. It was the creator. It just didn't just one day just evolve, you know. You understood who was behind that, and you relished in that. And that's what God's intention was. You know, that we were given as humans the capacity to sense beauty. That's part of being made in the image of God. That's one of the unique things of being made in the image of God. We have a sense of beauty. And when you ask people, why is something, you ever say, why is something beautiful? And the best you can do, you go, ah. so that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. It's just beautiful. I don't know. Why is the sunset beautiful? What's the arraying of the colors? Well, so... But we sense beauty, right? You see it everywhere. Well, God did that for a purpose. He did it for the purpose so that wherever you were in the mountains out there, or you're at the beach and you see the awesomeness of His of the waters that the Scripture says He holds in the, the palm of His hand, you see all these things, and then you magnify God. And that's why He did it. So that you understand, I'm the one who did this thing. I'm the creator. You're to give praise to me. And then you're happy. I'm sorry, but you're happy. Because you're walking with God. And so what we see here is, this is why Jesus said that if the goal of your life is to serve Jesus in some capacity, in your calling, whatever it is, He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. If your goal is to serve Him, He'll take care of you. That's what He's saying. And so, when you're consciously seeking to put Jesus first and His kingdom, then He'll take care of it. And by being anxious, and that's why Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things, because I'm telling you, I'm going to take care of you. But by being anxious... You know, the thing about it is, it's just an absolute waste of time. 
Anxiety is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It accomplishes absolutely nothing positively ever. Well, you can't say, well, you know, I, wor- I worried all night long. I-, I didn't sleep a wink. I was anxious about something. Uh, I invested all that time in worrying all night. Isn't that worth something? Absolutely nothing. All that did is get you awake, uh, awake in the next morning feeling grumpy because you didn't get a decent night's sleep because you worried all night. Worrying, Jesus says, you're not going to add a cubit to your lifespan. If anything, you're going to lessen it. But he says, you're not going to gain anything by worrying, so why are you worrying? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, he says. So, worrying accomplishes nothing good at all. So, don't worry, Jesus says. And it's sinful to worry. Why is it sinful to worry? Why is it sinful to be anxious about things? Well, we alluded to this last week. There, there are two opposites in this world. You have faith on, on one hand, and then you've got anxiety on the other. It's either going to be faith or anxiety, one or the other. Because when you are worrying about something, you are not exercising, and I'm not exercising faith at that point. Anytime we worry, we are not exercising faith at that point. So, what is faith? Well, the Scripture defines it for us. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 defined it for us by saying uh, there that faith is an assurance of things hoped for. That's one part of the verse. An assurance. That's a guarantee, right? Of things that you hope for. We hope for the best. We want our lives to be meaningful. We, we want uh, to be provided for. Faith is an assurance of those things that we hope for. And then it also says that it is a conviction of things not seen. See, faith, that's just what faith is. It's, it, um, We are told in Scripture elsewhere to walk by faith and not by sight. So faith and sight are opposites. When you have faith in something, you don't see it. But guess what? The Scripture says you have a conviction that it's true nonetheless. I haven't seen it, but but it's true. And that's why Jesus um, said what he did to Thomas. Uh, who was the last one to see him, uh, the, the twelve disciples being, uh, he was the last to see him uh, as a raised, uh, glorified being. He said, I won't believe until I see him, until I put my hands into his side and, and I touch him. And Jesus says, well, Thomas, he appears to Thomas and, and, and he puts his hand in his side. He says, you know, it, a ghost don't have uh, uh, flesh and bone, but I'm flesh and bone. And then Thomas bows and acknowledges the deity of Jesus. And then he says, Thomas, because you've seen, you've believed. But blessed are they who have never seen and yet have believed. See, faith, you and I have never, we've never seen the resurrected Jesus, but we have a conviction of that which is unseen. Why? Because we have a word from God. We have a promise from God. That's why. 
when Israel refused to go into the land of Canaan under Moses, we are told in Numbers that they were paralyzed by fear. Now, it was initially it was to be a reconnaissance uh, mission. And the people, the one who rec- uh, recommended it, says, because uh, God, God had already told Moses, I've given these people into your hand. And mind you, also, when they finally did go and take Jericho, remember what the scripture says? Everybody was terrified of the Hebrews because the word had gotten out what had happened already to the Egyptians. And so they were, the, the enemy was already terrified, but Israel, they didn't know that, did they? But they became paralyzed by fear when the ten spies gave a bad report, and they talked about all the giants that lived in that, that that area, and that uh, they were just they lived in fortified cities and they couldn't take it. And Joshua and Caleb are the only ones of that generation of warriors that the Bible says that believed God and says, "Well, by all means, let's take it." Why were they confident? Because they had faith in the promise of God. They saw the same thing the other spies saw. But they had faith in the promises, unlike the others. And God says, that whole generation I will cause to wander for 40 years because they were they worried all night. The Bible says they uh, all night there was a big pity party. All night they worried. And they refused to go in. And only Joshua and Caleb of that generation, everyone over 20 except for Joshua and Caleb, perished. You read the book of Numbers, we've been reading in devotions going through that. It's interesting how God says he's taken them to the brink of going in the land of Canaan, and the scripture explicitly says when the last man of that generation that God swore would never see the land died. And when that last person of that generation died, then God says, you ready to go in? So God takes it very serious. Those who don't live by faith, those who like to worry, because, again, the opposite of faith is anxiety and worry. Jesus said in verse, uh, well, the disciples had their own encounter as well. We alluded to that last week to a degree. When they were on the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and Jesus was asleep in the rear of the boat, and the big storm arose, and the water was filling the boat, and everybody got in the back, and they woke him up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? And Jesus wakes up, and he rebukes them. Now, you may think, well, there's good reason to be concerned. There's water filling the boat. But Jesus rebukes them. And he calms the storm, and then he says, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you get so worried? You had God in the back of the boat. But you see, they didn't, uh, when he calms the storm, yes, it may be true to a certain degree, they didn't fully understand all of his divinity. They'd already seen the miraculous work of the feeding of the 5,000. And then they say, when he calmed the storms, so who is this that calms even the storms? Well, God, because Jesus is God. 
But you see, Jesus rebuked them for worrying when they should not have worried because they should have trusted in Jesus to take care of them. We talked about Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know what the wonderful thing is about having faith? Is that peace is the byproduct of faith. When you worry, you don't have any peace, do you? Of course not. See, that's, that's another opposite. The opposite of, uh, of peace is anxiety. And so every time... Uh, we, we are worrying about something, whatever it may be. There's this inner turmoil because there's no peace. No peace. But there's peace with those who give thanksgiving, bring all their requests made known to God. Whatever it is, Jesus says, don't worry about anything because is not life worth more than food and clothing and all of this? Jesus commands us, to do some serious contemplation in life. He tells us, he does want us to take a look at the birds. So, after this sermon, if you don't go out and start thinking about birds differently, then shame on you. I'm serious. The next time you're out in the back, sitting on the back deck and you see those birds go by, I just want you to remember this sermon. God takes care of those little creatures, and he'll take care of you, as you're worth more than those creatures. Because you're man. You're creating his image. You're worth more than they. So don't worry about what you're worrying about. So he wants us to take inventory, Jesus does. And Jesus says, I will take care of you. And the blessed thing about this is... Jesus says that, uh, well, the scripture says about Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never changes. He cares for his people. He cares for his redeemed people. Since he took care of you yesterday, he's going to take care of you today, and he'll take care of you tomorrow. And that's all you need to know. Your Jesus has it all covered. So he says, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? I've got all the bases covered. So in this regard, our problem as Christians sometimes is that we may trust God in terms of trusting him in believing in Jesus for our salvation. But then our, our trust in him breaks down on a daily basis and we begin to forget that he really does providentially watch over us on a daily basis. He really does. And we have to remind ourselves of that fact. We forget the great truth in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I want you to turn to Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Think about this. Jesus said, I have all the power in the universe. I have all the authority. So if Jesus has all the authority, and we were bought by the price of his blood, and since we are his redeemed people, and since we are the apple of God's eye, it says, mighty is the power of God toward us. So, in the po- does it take the power of God for God to sustain all the creatures of the world? Yes. God takes care of his, his creation by his power. And if he takes care of his creation by his power, he's going to take care of us by his power. Because his power towards us is even more special because we belong to him. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are his church. Is God's providence does God provide for us so that fundamentally we can live more comfortably? Not really. Remember, we were created for God. Whose kingdom are we to advance, by the way? God's kingdom. Whose domain are we to take care of? God's domain. Whose glory are we to magnify? God's glory. You and I have got to come to the realization that anxiety, being worrier about being a worrier, is a grievous sin before Almighty God. We've got to understand how grievous it is. And you know why it's so grievous? Because it's a direct challenge of God, isn't it? When you and I as Christians worry about things, we are at that point challenging the integrity of God. Because he said, I'll take care of you. So if he's going to take care of us, why are we worrying? At that point, we're casting dispersion whether God's going to be faithful or not. And that's why it's such a grievous sin. We're not exercising faith at that point. And... Whenever we worry, we are living by sight and not by faith, and shame on us when that happens. Jesus told us not to take any thought, or that is to be anxious about any of our needs. God knows that you need certain things, and he'll take care of it. God knows what you and I need, and what do we need, by the way? Well, 1 Timothy 6 7 and 8 tells us what we need. Take a look at that passage. 1 Timothy 6, verses 7 and 8. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Do you have food to eat today? Then you have what you need. You have a place to go and sleep tonight outside of the, being rained on by the elements? Then you have what you need. 
But God, no, you have what you need. But, you know, God, I could use it. You have what you need. You have food. Did I feed you tonight? You got a place to sleep tonight? You got clothing on your body? You got what you need. And as God may say, now, now let me remind you, now why are you in this world? Whose glory are you to be advancing? You know, we're talking about <clears throat> providing for us. Again, I, I've always liked uh, the, one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible was that prayer of Hezekiah when the Assyrians were laying siege to Jerusalem. Hezekiah knew that they were no match militarily for the Assyrians. They'd already devastated all the other countries, and now they'd laid siege to Jerusalem. Sent that insulting letter saying to, uh, to the people, don't trust Hezekiah. I mean, the gods of the Egyptians didn't save them. The gods of, the, of all these other peoples, they didn't save them. You think your God's going to save you? So, so Hezekiah spreads that, that insulting letter out before God. He says, God, you know, I know the, all these things. Yes, the Assyrians have devastated all these peoples. But God, their gods are not you. Because their gods are no gods. And what does Hezekiah pray? This is what's so magnificent about his prayer. Do you think Hezekiah, what do you think would have been the end for Hezekiah when the Assyrians captured them? How do you think they would have treated Hezekiah? Sort of like uh, how Nebuchadnezzar dealt with Zedekiah when Israel fell eventually before Zedekiah died. Nebuchadnezzar had him watch him put his sons to death. And he says, this will be the last things you see in this life. So they, they, they killed their, his sons, and then they took his eyes out. And they took them off. Think they would have fared any better? You know what the Assyrians used to do with their captives, some of their captives? They would skin them and lay their skins on the walls of Nineveh as a trophy. And so when, when the Nineveh you know, says, look, just give up, and, and everybody will have their fig tree to say that. Yes, you. But Hezekiah says, Lord, for thy name's sake, for whose name's sake? Thy name's sake, deliver Jerusalem so that the nations will know you are God and you alone. That's why I want you to deliver Jerusalem, so that the nations won't mock you. That's a, that's a bold prayer in light of the fact your life is on the line. So what was that's the greatness of Hezekiah. His concern was for the glory of God under such oppressive military assault. And the wondrous thing is, that's when God, because he trusted in the glory of bringing glory to God's name. And that's when Isaiah sent word. Israel says, look, God's heard of Hezekiah's prayer. And it's, it's like this. I'm paraphrasing. This is, boys, just sit back. This is my fight. Just watch what I'm about to do. And then in the night, the Spirit of God goes out. 
only to find 185,000 soldiers just dead. Mysteriously. What we're told is that Hezekiah was a man of great faith. There's no indication that he was anxious then. He wanted God to receive all the glory. He lived for God's glory. And God saved Jerusalem because of that. You know what Jesus is saying here is, he says about the Gentiles, if you turn back to Matthew 6, verse 32, For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what Jesus is saying here is, is that don't be like the Gentiles who have a tendency to worry about all these things. They, all they're concerned about in life is that they get their physical needs met. That's all they're concerned about. But don't be like them, he says. And so what he says here, uh, he says, you're different than the Gentiles in verse 32. You're different because you're my covenant people. And Jesus is saying that we're not to worry about the food and the clothing and the shelter. And we're not to go by worrying like those things. Then he says, you're acting like a bunch of pagan heathen infidels. By the way, you do know that the word Gentile means pagan heathen. That's what the word actually means. We need to rise above the world. We need to rise above the heathens, Jesus says. He says we're different than them. We are the bride of Christ. We are special. We're not like the Gentiles. We have the oracles of God. You know what the oracles of God are in the Scriptures? It's the Word of God. You have the Word of God. The Gentiles don't have the Word of God. Now, what's the importance of having the Word of God? You have the promises of God, right? In the Word of God. In His oracles, you have His promises. So why are you, uh, why are you worried about anything? Where's your faith? And so... <clears throat> Two things about the Gentiles, the way they live life. The Gentile uh, world vacillates between two things, what we call, what the philosophers can call contingency and fatalism. And by contingency, meaning that everything just happens by accident in this life. Sir Julian Huxley was the grandson of Thomas Huxley. Thomas Huxley was a personal friend of Charles Darwin. Thomas Huxley was called Darwin's bulldog. Because when Darwin advanced his theories, guess what? The naturalists of the time thought it was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard. It was met with great resistance among the naturalists. It was the philosophers that held it as a great advance. And it was Thomas Huxley who did more than anything to convince the world at the time to follow Darwin. So he was the big PR guy. And Sir Julian Huxley was one of the most consistent uh, evolutionists there ever was. And here's what Sir Julian Huxley said. He said, all of life, there is no purpose in life at all. Life is an accident, end of quote, Sir Julian Huxley. He was a consistent evolutionist. 
Look, there are unbelievers out there who think this, who think that life is just an accident, and uh, who think that, uh, look, if life is just an accident, and you've got to rely on Mother Nature to bail you out, then you better get worried. <laughs> There's a reason to worry then, if Mother Nature is what you have to rely upon. Mother Nature can deal you a cruel blow. But praise God, Mother Nature is not God. God is God. And God, there are no accidents in this universe. There is purpose in this life. God's got everything in control. He, as the scripture says, he's ordained the end from the beginning. He's got everything planned out. Everything's in control. There are no elements of contingency in, in that sense with God because there are no accidents in that sense with respect to God because he has it all in control. And then if you're not believing everything's by accident, you could be a fatalist, and the fatalist is those who say, well, what will be, will be, and there's nothing we can ever do about it. Really? Some think that's what predestination is. Well, that's not predestination. Fatalism is not predestination. Fatalism is a false view of life that, that, uh, that views us as puppets on the stage of life and just what happens to us, happens to us, and there's nothing you and I can do about it. But you know what the scripture says with reference to his people? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's what he's talking about to his covenant people. God has plans for us. It's not, it, but it does incorporate it does incorporate our actions in a way we don't fully understand. But we're not just puppets on the stage of life. God's got it all, all under control to his people. And yes, God has planned every step of the way in one sense. That somehow incorporates our actions that we don't fully understand. But you see, in realizing that fact about God, that he's sovereign, in that respect, that's what gives you hope. That's why you can be anxious free, because you don't worry about things, because you know who God is. You know how powerful God is. You know the thoughts of God towards you. And by knowing all these things, that's why you shouldn't have any worry whatsoever about anything. So, I guess I've got to... Um, this brings us to the main point that Jesus is driving home. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all your needs will be met. Seek first. You know, when he says seek first, he's talking about lordship at this point. Remember, Jesus already said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God money. You can only have one master. Now, it may not be money. It could be something else. He says, you only have one master. You're going to serve something. So what are you serving? Who's your Lord? Is it me? Or is it, uh, I guess I've got to ask you this question. 
What is the main purpose in your life today? What priority does Jesus have in your life today? And, and, and how is that perspective of Jesus working itself out in your life on a day-by-day basis? I guess what I'm asking is, are you living under the Lordship of Christ? Because living under the Lordship of Christ is acknowledging Him as Master. Is our goal to go out and have a, just to have a good old time on the weekend? Is that our goal? If it is, shame on us. Uh, is our goal um, to have a nice car, a nice house, enough money in the bank account, so we don't have to be concerned about anything? Is, is that the main thing in us, driving us? If it is, shame on us. Why were you and I created? To serve God. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. See, we, we have to let that sink in. We do not belong to ourselves. Well, I like being by myself. Then, Well, then go to hell. If that's what you like, because that's where you'll be uh, if that's all you think about. I've, I've delivered you from hell. I redeemed you. You don't realize, you see, that's what we've got to understand about total depravity. We were in bad shape. Bad shape. No hope. That's why Paul says to the Gentiles in Romans 9, you had no hope in this world. But now, through Jesus, you've been brought near to God through Jesus. Now you have hope before you didn't have any hope. And so this whole idea is it's important that we recognize that we are here to live for the Master, Jesus. And in living for the Master, you'll have peace, you'll have anxiety-free life if you trust in His promises. And you'll be the most you'll be the most happy you've ever been, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not the happiness. The ultimate goal is to serve the glory of God, to follow his, in His holiness, and the byproduct of serving Him in holiness of life is that's when you'll be happy. But don't get the cart before the horse. Don't try to be happy first and say, then God, I, I want this, I want this, I want this, and I'm worried about this. Well, quit worrying about this. you got your priorities mixed up. Get your priorities right. I'll take care of you. You'll have all the food you need. You'll have a place to sleep. And Jesus, you know, he says, one of the, the, the fruitless things about worrying about tomorrow is, he says, notice what he did say. Did he say the Christian life would be trouble-free? I don't think so. Look at verse 34. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. If you think the Christian life is, is without trouble, then you're naive. <laughs> but I think you know that by now having been Christians long enough, that there are things that go wrong. There are things that are troublesome in life. 
But you've got to have the perspective that the Lord is in control. He says you're not going to gain anything about worrying about tomorrow. Just be concerned about things that are being met today. And then let tomorrow come. And then when tomorrow comes, you be thankful for the fact that God's going to take care of you tomorrow. And then the next day, you start over again and says, well, then the, ne- the future is now today. God's going to take care of me today. That's all I need to know. In other words, you take it day by day. But wait a minute, are we to think about the future? Well, no one says you don't think about the future. You know, the Proverbs tells, tells us to go to the ant, you sluggard, because the ant prepares for, in the summer for what? The winter. Nothing says that we don't uh, prepare. The birds go out and hunt for the food, but the promise is they'll find the food. And I don't need to worry about tomorrow, because Jesus says it's a waste of time. I'll take care of tomorrow, because I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I who said I will take care of you will take care of you. You know, the Christian lives by faith. The the Christian clings to the promises of God. The Christian reminds himself and herself that they are princes and princesses of God. The Christian knows that God has us in the palm of his hand. The Christian knows that we are the apple of his eye. The Christian knows that he has loved me from the foundation of the world. The Christian knows that he ordained the days for me when there was not one of them. The Christian knows how precious are thy thoughts towards me, O God. The Christian knows that he'll take care of us because he takes care of all his creation. And we, we are the the epitome. We're the apex of his creation. My friends, repent of worrying and walk by faith. That's easier said than done, preacher. Repent of worrying and walk by faith in His promises. And it'll be just all right. Let's pray. Lord, be with us.